Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver, to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meeting the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers of idolaters since then. You need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one for what have I to do with judging outsiders. It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, that is a fun text. I mean, you listen to that and go, who in their right mind would ever want to preach from that text? But when you're doing a series through a book of the Bible, you, you have no choice, but what comes next comes next. And so 1 Corinthians 5 follows 1 Corinthians 4, and that is where we are this morning. I would also say that uh, this is, in a sense, family talk. Paul is taking the family secrets, if you will, of the Corinthian church and bringing them wide out into the open. I mean, just out there where everybody can hear, where everybody can see, where everyone can know. And the result of it is staggering. Families have interest in secrets. They uh, have interest in customs and habits. I was visiting Lorraine Biddick's recently at Care Partners uh, Rehabilitation where she's getting physical therapy. And Lorraine said in her family, uh, on every person in her family's birthday, they get a pie in the face. Every, every, when it's your birthday, you just expect it. It's coming at some point in the day, and you never know when it's going to come. And so it's a family tradition. In our family, we have this little thing called FHB. And uh, Wendy hosts a lot of people at our home, and we have folks who come and eat. And sometimes she will wonder, do I have enough food to last uh, for all the folks who are coming, especially when college students come, because uh, you guys eat lots of food. And so, uh, so if Wendy is wondering that, she'll just slip around to everybody in the family and go, FHB. And it means family hold back. And so we will. Uh, until everybody has gotten all the food they need, then the family will hold back, and then we jump in and get what's left, you know? Families have that, and today this is family talk. 
So some of you are in here this morning and you're not a member of the Grace Community family, so you're kind of looking in, but this was written to all churches for all time. Uh, but secondly, uh, some of you are in here and not a member of the family of God. And, and so you, you, you're coming on a day when the church airs its dirty laundry in 1 Corinthians 5. And when uh, the dirty laundry is really rancid, I mean, it's dirty, dirty laundry, Paul says. And so from this, uh, you're going to discover three, uh, three actions that uh, church must do when dealing with a member who blows it. When dealing with a church member who blows it, what, what should the church do and what must the church do? What is the church's response And the first uh, command that we're given uh, really in this text is that a church must mourn uh, a brother or sister's sin. Paul says here, uh, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Uh, That phrase, it is actually reported, uh, means it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, The way Paul writes it, he writes it to say what has happened is unbelievable. This uh, is, is kind of, as we say, takes the cake. This is pretty out there. What is it? And of kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. And for Paul to write that to the Corinthians is a heady statement. Why? Because the Corinthian culture was known for its sexual license. Uh, There were reported by other folks in Paul's day, uh, other folks said at least a thousand cult prostitutes walked the streets of Corinth. Uh, The Grand Temple uh, sat on the hill right behind Corinth. Corinth was not the place that treated sexuality in a uh, biblical way at all. As a matter of fact, I dug up this saying that was contemporary to Paul's day. Uh, This was what the Corinthian men said. Mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of the body, but wives to bear us legitimate children. Their view of women was demoralizing. It was depraved. And yet they even, with their view of women, would not tolerate this sin, Paul is saying. Even the pagans would say something about this. What is the sin? A man has his father's wife. Well, what in the world? That's one of two possibilities as best we can figure. It means that uh, a man, uh, his mother died and his father remarried. And when his father remarried, while his father is alive, he's having an adulterous sexual affair with his stepmother. Or his stepmother, uh, his father died, and upon the death of his father, he began a relationship with his stepmother. Both are forbidden, interestingly enough, in Deuteronomy and have the sentence of death. As it is mentioned, uh, step-parent, step-child relationship explicitly laid out in Deuteronomy. And so Paul says this has happened in the church. So what is the church's response to this sin? He says, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. He says, you're arrogant. Why? 
Well, commentators struggled to figure this out. Where did their pride or their arrogance come from in light of the sin? And most commentators feel that evidently the person committing the sin was an influential person. And the Corinthian church didn't want to call them out for fear that they would pull their financing of the church's new ventures or they would pull their influence. And so, hey, we're not going to call this guy out. He's too powerful. Joel uh, sees Israel in deep sin, and he says in Joel 2, chapter 12, Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Joel spells out what corporate mourning looks like. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. God isn't waiting to pounce on you, is what Joel says. God isn't waiting. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. So why don't you come back to him? Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders. These are all action verbs. Do this, do this, do this as a church. Gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom call the wedding off. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. They're getting ready to walk out and down the aisle. Cut the wedding off. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? So Joel spells out, what mourning ought to look like. What is the tendency of folks in the church? In the Corinthian church, it is to ignore. In their arrogance to say, well, we really can't call him out. We really can't call him out because of whatever reason we really don't know. But then there's the other tendency. Uh, folks will see somebody stumble into sin or rush headlong into it. And what have you heard people say? Well, I saw that coming. I mean, I could see that for a country mile. We knew that was happening. Well, anybody can see sin after it's happened. Anybody can call, call it after the fact. It doesn't. I mean, how many people uh, can do that? If you saw it coming, why didn't you step in? If you saw it coming, if you saw your brother stumbling, why didn't you step in and risk the relationship and say, okay, there's something amiss in your life. There's something going wrong. There's something way off track. Why didn't you step in when you saw it coming? Why did you wait? The church is to be about a group of people who step in and who intervene and who say out of love what is happening in your marriage, what is happening in your work life, what is happening in your personal life isn't right, needs to change. But this didn't happen. Ought you not rather to mourn 
When you see someone caught in sin, it ought to break your heart. And corporately, as a church, we ought to mourn over the brother or sister who has been in the right, who has sung the songs as they did in the Old Testament, sung the songs of Zion, but but hung their harps on the willow tree and said, hey, we're finished. That ought to grieve us. That's what Paul is saying. But we can look back corporately across the church, uh, the history of the church, and see moments in the history of the church where the church corporately had blind spots. I think of slavery in this country, and I think of churches that not only endorsed it, their leadership owned slaves, and for some reason, motivated most likely by greed, They turned a blind eye, and they perpetrated a horrific situation on a group of people who never should have been treated like that. How is it? How is it that the church could do that? Right now, I'm reading the new biography of Bonhoeffer. It's a fantastic work. It digs deep into his life. And one of the things that's staggering to me is to, is to watch uh, and, and read what he writes about what happened in the German church. There are a couple of things that paved the way for the German church to respond the way they did. One was liberal theology that took truth and, and made it relative. And then there was this other patriotism uh, for the uh, German state that pastors uh, would uh, say nothing or they would even celebrate Hitler and what he was doing, though their own parishioners were being dragged out of nursing homes because of their debilitating illnesses and carried off to other places and slaughtered and killed. They ignored that for the sake of the German state. It was a significant blind spot in the church. And it causes me to step back as a pastor and ask myself, where are the blind spots today? Where are the places where uh, 50 years from now or 100 years from now, people will look back at us and go, what were they thinking? How could they allow that? And that burdens and concerns me. I think there are a couple that are noticeable I think one that is most noticeable, the most uh, sweeping uh, sect of Christianity across the globe today is prosperity gospel. It is growing uh, by leaps and bounds in Africa, in Central America, in South America, and in the United States. Come to God, give something, and he'll make you well, and he'll bless you financially. Recently, I received an email from someone who said she wanted her, her membership removed from this church. And she went on to explain herself. She said, the reason I no longer want to be a member of Grace Community Church is because I firmly believe that health and wealth are always connected. And they're always connected to the kingdom. 
And many of you know the multiple surgeries Trent has had and the things he's been through. She continues in her email to, uh, to say that the reason that my family has been through the sickness they have is my own lack of faith. If only I had more faith, then my family wouldn't be near as ill as they are. Oh, it infuriated me, of course. Immediately, you know, I'm on the front porch typing a response, and Wendy is saying, you know, pulling the bridles back on the horse. All right, honey, sleep on this. Sleep on this. Don't push the sin button. I slept on it and pushed sin the next day. But at any rate, I slept on it. She emailed me back, long email, this long. And in that email, took experience, lifted it up above truth, and said, I've seen this happen, and this happen, and this happen, and went on to articulate her theology that every illness is a result of lack of faith. Every bit, in her life and in everybody else's life, every bit. That's a sad place to be, isn't it? But it's sweeping the world today. And I have a feeling that 50 years from now, 100 years from now, folks will look back on this sweep of prosperity gospel and say, how did they miss that? Could they just not look at their situation and know that the proof was in their illness, the proof was in, could they not look at Scripture at Romans 5 and see that? And then I'll go on another issue that on the liberal side the church is missing today and it is the sticky issue of homosexuality i don't want to say anything to offend pastors may feel and so they won't speak to the real issues that scripture clearly teaches that homosexuality practiced homosexuality is a sin it's clearly a sin in scripture And so churches will hold back. Not only do they hold back, but they begin to embrace, begin to ordain, begin to raise up uh, men and women who not only espouse it, but practice it, and they begin to lead in those churches. And the churches cannot even look at their own statistics and see the truth that people are falling away by the millions because it is an easy, be anything you want to be, Believe anything you want to believe. The church mourns a brother or sister's sin, but what if he or she persists in sin? Uh, The church removes an unrepentant brother or sister. Paul says four times in this passage that if he or she, as a member of the local church, is insistent, no, I'm not stopping the sin. I'm not quitting the affair. I'm not going to stop going on in my sin. Then the person is to be removed. In what way? Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's a tough sentence. What does it mean? Commentators struggle to try to figure it out. Paul says it one other time in his writings, to try to figure it out. What does it mean to deliver such a person to Satan for the destruction of the flesh? Here's what I think. When you join a local church and you say, I'm going to become a member. Here at Grace, we have a covenant that you sign. I'm going to become a member, a covenant member of a local church. Uh, You have an umbrella of protection over you. There is accountability in membership. 
And that umbrella of protection says, hey, this local family of faith stands with me. They will mourn with me over my sin. They will confront me in my sin. They will encourage me in my walk with God. When, when a brother or sister is persistent in sin and you say, if you're persistent in that sin, your membership is no longer at this church, as we have had to do a few times over the years here at Grace, you no longer have membership in this church. Immediately, that umbrella is removed. And the protection of the local church is gone. And Satan can have a field day at that moment. He can have a field day. Why? There's nobody saying, hey, listen, you shouldn't be going that way. You shouldn't be thinking that way. No, because you've removed yourself uh, by your sin, and the church has acted on your continual sin to remove you from fellowship in the church so that the accountability is gone. It's absolutely gone at that point. So that his spirit may be saved. Well, how would this work? If we deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, how in the world does that save his spirit? Often, that's a wake-up call. Often, that action of a church says to somebody, I am sinning. If you've ever watched the program Intervention, you know what I'm talking about. What happens on intervention? Family members, friends step in and step into somebody's life who's blowing it with drugs or alcohol or some other habit that they need to quit. And they step in and say, okay, this is it. There's no more support. You can't live at my house and do this. You can't do this. It's intervention. This is biblical uh, local church intervention is all it is. And you hope in that intervention setting on the show that that jars that person and he or she realizes, oh, this sin has to stop. And so that is also the hope of the church. Well, there are all kinds of questions about it. Matthew 18 talks about this, James 5, Galatians 6. What are some sweeping things? You may want to jot these down. How should you respond? Well, if the sin is known by all, then everybody must know about the discipline. If the sin is known by all, if it's a sin known publicly by everyone here, then everyone here will be part of understanding the church's response to the sinning person. One of the guys who mentored me, pastored a church of multiple thousands, he said, in our congregation, if it's known only in that small group, that Bible fellowship group, then that Bible fellowship group is the place where that's handled. If it's known widely by the whole church, then the whole church is where it's handled. I think that's wise. Paul says this is reported among you, meaning it's gotten all the way back to me at Ephesus. If it's gotten back to him at Ephesus, guess what? Everybody in Corinth knows about the guy sleeping with his stepmother. Uh, number two, the purpose is always remedial, not judgmental. All right, so the purpose is always to bring the erring brother or erring sister back, not to kick them out. I grew up in a church where most things appeared to be judgmental. All right, it was crazy, crazy legalistic. So much so that uh, those of you ladies who aren't wearing uh, a dress in here would not be welcome there. And I recall as a kid seeing them escort some woman right out who missed it. Missed the memo somehow, walked in with slacks on, and, and a deacon from the church went and got her and escorted her right out. I don't find that to be remedial. Something tells me she never came back. 
All right, so it must be remedial. Number three, the sin contaminated and therefore had to be removed. The sin contaminated, meaning you tolerate this here, and then it says you're going to tolerate it over here. This isn't only relegated to sexual sin in Scripture. Gossip can be one of the worst, have a much worse effect on a church than sexual sin can. Uh, There are multiple things that can contaminate. In light of the contamination, Paul gives this imagery. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What does that mean? Well, what they would do is they would bake bread, and uh, they would leave some of the dough from, that they had prepared that week, let it ferment. And when it fermented, they would add it into all of the dough for the next week, and they would continue to do that. Uh, what kind of bread do we call that? Sourdough. That's how you make sourdough bread. And so that's how they would do it. And and that fermenting process would continue. And they would do that running for uh, 51 weeks. But probably for health reasons, because that's some pretty rancid fermenting going on. By week 51, uh, there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during that week, guess what? You threw away the old leaven the old fermenting dough, and you only cooked with new dough that week. And all the bread you ate that week was not fermented. And at the end of that week, you'd save a little bit of the dough and begin the fermenting sourdough process again. And so it was a feast for religious reasons and a feast for uh, sanitary reasons, for health reasons. Because of the second part of it, in the New Testament, leaven became associated with sin, with kind of a rancid, souring sin. And Paul says, if you don't get rid of the leaven, guess what's going to happen to the whole lump? It's going to be sour. You're going to have sourdough. And while we may enjoy that, it's not good in the church, is what Paul is saying. He says, do not associate with the idolater, the swindler, the reviler, the drunkard, uh, the sexually immoral, the greedy. All of a sudden now we pick up a whole cadre of sins. This is a list. We've said, okay, this is a pretty weird situation going on, man. And his, uh, his stepmother, I could understand that, but greedy? Swindler, the businessman who kind of practices under the table? Who, who twists somebody's arm to cut a deal? The idolater, the person who worships anything or anyone but God? All of a sudden, we get a larger, wider list. What does it mean to not associate? Well, it could mean, you could think, you see him, you walk down the road, and you go, oh, that's who that is, and you turn and don't look. No. Uh, what I think it means is the table. The Lord's Supper. You say, how do you mean? Let's say that if we approach someone in his or her sin and they continue in it and we remove them from membership here at Grace, which we've done a few times. We're involved in one of those right now. Let's say we do that. Is the person welcome to worship here, to attend? Yes. Are they welcome at the Lord's table? No. Not while living in unrepentant sin. No one is, right? We know that. 
later, Paul says, that's bringing all kinds of illness on you. I received a call this week, or maybe last week, from this girl. And she said, I I wondered if you would do our wedding. She said, I went to another pastor, and it didn't go as I thought. And I said, who was that? Well, it was my dad. (laughs) This is awkward already. (laughs) This is going to be really good. And I said, so tell me what happened. And she said, well, I'd ask him about doing it. We'd ask him about doing our wedding. And so we went up to talk to him last Sunday after church. And we looked at him and said, we really want you to do our wedding. And, and, uh, but there's something you got to know. We live together. And she said, he looked at us and said, you do? And, and we said, yes. And she said, he said, well, I'll have to think about this. And she said, we felt judged. That's what she said. And so I said, well, this is where my dad and I are different. I don't have to think about it. The answer is no. Why are you calling me? And no wonder you felt judged. If you know Christ, you're living in sin. You ought to feel judged. You ought to feel convicted. There should be something in you that bothers you over what you're doing. And she totally didn't expect that reply. Happened to talk to my mom yesterday and brought it up. And mom said, here's what happened, all right? I don't know who people think we are over here. But mom said, this is what happened. That uh, that happened, dad said what he said, decided he wouldn't do it, and the uh, mother-in-law-to-be said, oh, go to Grace, they'll do it. <laughs> what? Uh, okay, so at any rate, what's the problem? The problem is, here is a young lady and her fiancé who want a Christian wedding insistent on living an unchristian life. Logic just says what? That makes no sense, right? You don't have to be a Christian to know that doesn't make any sense. Number three, the church celebrates who we already are. Paul says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. You know what, that's called, what that is called? It's sanctification. Sanctification is cleansing the old leaven. So let me ask you a question. Look around the room. Feel free to look around the room at everybody else's response. How many of you have sinned this week? Raise your hand. Right. All right. So how many of you didn't raise your hand? Just kidding. Just kidding. All right. So here's the deal. Cleansing out the old leaven is something we do every day. Every day with sinful thoughts, sinful deeds, that kind of thing. All of us are in process. All of us stumble. All of us struggle. It may be worry. It may be lust. It may be greed. It may be an addiction of some sort. We all struggle. And so we constantly, we constantly get the old leaven out. But I love what Paul says. He says, as you really are unleavened. What does he mean? Why do you get something out that doesn't seem to be there? Paul says you're unleavened, but get the old leaven out. Paul says be who you really are. What does he mean by that? Here's how he gets us to see the picture. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. 
Paul goes back to an Old Testament analogy, which is fascinating for the Corinthians who don't necessarily have all this Old Testament stuff under their belt. But he goes back to an Old Testament analogy, and here's what he says. He says there was the Passover, and here's how the Passover worked. Uh, The Passover worked. It's the last of the plagues, and when the death angel passed through Egypt, where the Israelites were staying, they had to do one thing, sacrifice a lamb, take the blood, smear it on the door, and when the death angel passed through, if the angel saw the blood, the angel would do what? Passover. He would pass by. That was it. All right, here we go. Don't miss this. Do you know what the death angel didn't do? There is not a record where he stopped to interview the folks who lived in the house. He didn't say, you know, that blood looks pretty good on the door, but uh, let's have a talk. I want to hear exactly how you sacrificed that lamb, where you got the lamb, what you did. No, no. The blood of the lamb, as gross as this may sound to you, on the doorpost said, hey, obedient believer, I'll pass. Here's what happened. Hear me to every one of you. When you came to God by faith, and put your faith in Christ. His blood shed on the cross was smeared on the doorpost of your heart. Immediately at that moment, never again will you sit through an interview. Never again will you sit. Now, some of you interview yourselves all the time, and all the time you go back and you ask yourself questions. Well, why did I do this? And why did I go here? And why did I go there? And what did this, what is this all about? And you replay your past again and again and again. God never does. When he looks at you, Paul says he sees the blood on the doorposts of your heart. And he says, ah, there's Christ, and there's Christ, and there's Christ, and there's Christ. And all he sees is Jesus Christ. He doesn't see you as an amalgamation of all of your sins. He doesn't see you as the sum total of all the failures you've ever been, of all the things that play like a broken record through your mind. No, he looks at you and sees you as his beautiful son and daughter in Christ, no matter what you've done since then. Wow. That's what Paul is saying rid yourself of these sins that crop up in your life. Why? You're already unleavened. Why? Because the blood of Christ has been applied to you. And when God looks at you, he does not see anything but that blood. He sees Christ. You say, wow, I could go sin all I want to. No. When you get that, you don't want to sin. You say, well, but I want to, but there's another want to. And those want to's go, go to war. That's a whole other sermon, a whole other day. The church celebrates who we already are. Do you know that's why? We mourn over our brother sinning. Why? Because it could be us. Because we didn't shed the blood that is spread on the doorpost of our heart. He says, celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, but the leaven of malice, or the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Wow, just being real with each other. That's what he's saying, just sincerity and truth. So how do we do it? Let me ask you three questions. Number one, are you engaged in repeated, unrepentant sin? Are you engaged in repeated, unrepentant sin? 
I'm not talking about the struggle that you fight against. I'm talking about the sin that you run to and embrace. And even when somebody calls you out on it, you won't hear them out. Okay? Be clear on that. Are you engaged in repeated, unrepentant sin? Number two, do you want to be free? If you want to be free, we have a fantastic ministry. Uh, our, pa- our pastors will meet with you, but we have a fantastic ministry on Thursday nights called Celebrate Recovery. And it is for folks who are caught in some sin and they want to be free. If you are, you ought to show up with a group of people who will not judge you. They will simply say, hey, come on in. And they'll deal honestly with that sin in your life. Do you want to be free? Number three, do you want to continue? Do you sit here and say, no, no, I'm going to continue in my sin. If so, and you are a member of this fellowship, you risk your membership in this fellowship. Not because anybody here is any better than you, but because the blood smeared on the doorpost of our hearts is way too precious, way too glorious to just say, ah, we'll let it go. Let's make this crazy practical. Verse 9 says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Paul is saying, I wrote to you not to associate with the sexually immoral person in your church, not with the sexually immoral people outside your church. I want to speak to something for a moment. I want you to hear me on this. Many of you know that in our county this week, Two lesbians showed up at the courthouse along with a group of people trying to get uh, a marriage license or something like that. It was a political stunt. There's no doubt about it. I received an email from a local pastor wanting to gather a group of pastors and other folks to stand on the uh, courthouse across from where they were coming in and to oppose that. I didn't go. I want you to know why. I didn't go out of disrespect to other pastors, and that's their call. They've got to figure out where they land on those kinds of things. There is a time to speak up against broad, sweeping uh, political things that are happening. There is that time not to endorse a candidate. We've never done that here, never planned to. There's a time to speak up on issues that are moral, that happen to be political. And homosexuality is one of those. Clearly a sin, but it's become a political issue. Second, not first, second. So why didn't I go? Here's why. Those two women, if they were to walk into this building this morning, I would love them and I would lovingly say to them, what you're doing is sin. Jesus Christ loves you. He loves you enough to change you. But that would be terribly difficult if they saw me glaring at them across the sidewalk. We are told here by Paul to associate with them. To to hang out with them. Do you know what the interesting dichotomy is? The girl who called me, who wanted me to do her wedding, is engaging 
in the same kind of sin those two girls are walking up. They're both sexual immorality, right? But this girl goes to church every Sunday. No, nobody's boycotting her. Paul says, that's who you address. The one among you. Oh, it's easy to look at everybody in the world who's sinning and say, look, you bunch of sinners. Well, they're sinners. Sinners sin. So that's why I didn't go. Paul says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It's not my place. It isn't my job. It is my job to preach the gospel, to speak the truth in love, to come alongside those people. And then it's my job as a pastor to say, okay, if it's happening in these walls, members of this church, oh, we've got to come to them in a restorative, remedial way and say, hey, 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 this has to stop. My questions for you, are you in unrepentant sin? Do you want to be free? Let us know. Do you want to continue? You may as well walk out into a torrential downpour with lightning flashing and stand under a tree and hope you don't get struck because you remove the protection of God from your life. And sin will destroy. Always does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the honesty in your word. Wow. We are real. Real people with real struggles. This is a world full of real sinners who need Christ. You know, Spirit, where to take this, apply it, make it work. So do that. We trust you with that. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.